She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files podcast, season four. Episode five. The Field Where I Died. In this episode, the FBI raids a cult's compound, but is unable to find a cache of guns that would secure the cult leader's arrest. One of the cult members is a woman who claims to remember Mulder from a previous life. As Scully and Skinner try to find evidence to arrest the cult leader, Mulder tries to determine if the cult's compound sits atop a field where, in a previous life, he died in the Civil War. <gasps> yeah. Was he a blue or a gray? I mean, I guess we'll probably talk about that. <laughs> okay, cool. This is previous life. I don't know how much we can hold against him, but also, ew. so that probably gives you some idea. <laughs> Oh, dear. This episode is a Monster of the Week episode and originally aired on Sunday, November 3rd, 1996 at 9 p.m. It was filmed in British Columbia, Canada, and it was written by Glenn Morgan and James Wong and directed by Rob Bowman. So we open and Mulder is doing a voiceover. And as he speaks, the whole time we see him standing in the field mournfully looking at some photographs and so we're far away and then as the voiceover continues we get close and then at the very end we're gonna focus on the photos he's looking at so just so you kind of get an image in your mind as you hear the narration he says at times i almost dream i too have spent a life the sage's way and tread once more familiar paths perchance i perished in an arrogant self-reliance an age ago, and in that act, a prayer for one more chance went up so earnest, so instinct with better light let in by death, that life was blotted out not so completely, but scattered wrecks enough to remain dim memories, as now, when seems once more, the goal in sight again. And then we see the photos are black and white photos of a Civil War era soldier, and a woman from that same time period. And then we get the theme song. Boom. Yeah. I have not clocked it, but I feel like this might be the shortest cold open to date. It's pretty short. Yeah, I can't think of one that would be shorter, honestly. Yeah. So, yeah. Mulder's narration is from part one, lines 593 to 606 of Paracelsus, a five-part epic poem by Robert Browning that was published in 1835. They did play a little with the lines. There'll be a link in the show notes to the actual page that these they kind of cut off the front of it. They kind of cut off the back of it. They move some words around too to change some of the meanings. They change some of the punctuation, which can also change the meaning. You know, the whole, you know, let's eat grandma, <laughs> let's eat grandma kind of thing. So it's kind of, yeah. So it's a little weird. So when you're when you're trying to read how it's supposed to be said, it sounds kind of strange. So yeah. But you're only getting one take. Sorry, I'm not doing it again. <laughs> Wonder how many takes it took the company to read that. They're probably like, do it again. Know. Do it again. Yeah. Again, more Yeah, feeling. but it, it does change the intent of some of the lines, the way they kind of uh-huh. change things. Yeah. Like the, the changes are really, I'm surprised, it's really pretty minimal. But it does change the phrasing a little bit. So mm-hmm. they say just make it up or like totally just put someone else's name on it or something. So, Although I'm surprised given that it they didn't like give any kind of credit to it at all anywhere in the credits or anything so that seems yeah weird. i think like they should have had like a little screen legend that came up and told you where it came from instead of making you think Mulder is like some fancy poet but <laughs> maybe you're just supposed to assume he must have read it somewhere because Mulder's a great guy but i don't know that he's that poet well he is kind of a dreamer well, like I said, what we talked about last episode with the narration, sometimes they tend to go with like, let's do a little monologue, a soliloquy, whatever thing. So, yeah, mm-hmm. he's not floating around like on a little plant thing. So that's cool. Yeah. I mean, he's not in the sky seeing his father in deep throat and yeah. yeah. Mulder in the sky with plants on. <laughs> So the screen legend tells us that we're at the Temple of the Seven Stars in Appison, Tennessee, and it's 5.15 a.m. 
and someone shouts, federal agents, we're armed, and kicks in a door. And an ATF squad busts into the home, and people inside make sounds of distress. And you know, the person who first shouted continues that they have warrants for the possession of illegal firearms. So the team pushes deeper into the home, and we see children, and we see other people inside. And then we see that painted on an interior door, there's this seven-eyed, seven-horned goat, and the words read, Behold, I am alive forevermore. Revelations 118. Ooh. And then that door gets kicked in. So <laughs> yeah. it's actually part of Revelation 118. The entire quote is, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. And that is from the King James Version. Okay. Yeah. The scene we have later when they hear voices, we're going to, they're going to hear some voices later. They actually do give the entire quotation but on the door okay you don't want to write all that on a door it's yeah a that's a, that's a lot for a door yeah. i mean i just i feel like they boiled yeah. down to the basic point so that probably worked yeah. Yeah. um and we see Mulder and scully are with this team and they follow an agent into a room and Mulder's a little bit agitated and he says someone tipped a fezian off and scully mutters that he's somewhere on this compound and so scully heads back into a main room and she asks about a fezian another agent tells her they've got nothing and they've covered 90 percent of the compound they can check the machine shop again. Maybe they've got some trap doors. And Mulder is staring through a glass panel door. He approaches and then opens it and he goes through. And Scully kind of calls after him, like, where are you going? What are you doing? But he doesn't stop. And Mulder steps outside. And then Scully follows and he's staring out at a field. And Scully says that intelligence reported no hiding places beyond the yard. But Mulder ignores her and jogs into the field. And he keeps kind of looking around and staring. And then a woman's voice says, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive. So Scully edges further into the field with her gun still drawn. And Mulder runs up to her and they find this wooden trap door surrounded by high grass. And a woman can be heard praying beneath it. And then a male voice says, Amen. So Mulder opens the door and we see several people are huddled under the trap door holding plastic cups of a red beverage. Mulder steps down and a woman puts the plastic cup to her lips and he shouts no and he knocks it out of her hand. And the man reaches out and he tells her that it's okay. And Mulder pulls him away and he puts his gun on the man so like he's holding his gun to him. But then he turns to look back at the woman. Ooh. Weird. Yeah. Mulder likes the ladies. <laughs> He, he does historically, so that's not new. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Apson, Tennessee is actually real. It is an unincorporated community, so it's not like a town. It's just a census-designated area, and it's like right on the border of Tennessee and Georgia. So, okay. Yeah, it actually is real. They're sticking with real places lately. Interesting. Yeah. And it's actually part of the Chattanooga metropolitan area, which is convenient because then we're at the Federal Command Center in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So they don't have to go very far. So that's good. Yay. Yay. And it's 7.25 a.m. And Mulder looks through a series of mugshots, including the man, Ephesian, and several women, some of whom we saw in the underground bunker with him. And then he stares at the one of the women who had been about to drink and that he was looking at earlier. So, and then he and Scully and a whole bunch of ATF and FBI people are in a briefing room. And Skinner's there. And they're listening to a recording. And the man on the tape says his name is Sidney. And he talks about how Vernon Ephesian has a lot of good ideas, but he's doing stuff to kids now. And it ain't good, right? That's not why he signed on. And there's lots of guns, enough to hold off the Korean army. It's not good. And then Skinner stops the tape. Click. And Skinner says, that tape capped off an 18-month investigation of the Temple of the Seven Stars by Vernon Ephesian. This call convinced the Attorney General to approve this morning's raid. One of the FBI agents says the intelligence reports were weak. But luckily, Spooky Mulder found the feces in a bunker that the ATF didn't even know was there. Ooh, go Spooky. Yeah. <laughs> and then they kind of like the ATF guys and the FBI guys start kind of like arguing back and forth. And then Scully whispers to Mulder like, how did you know? And he shakes his head. He doesn't know. And the Skinner's like, hey, crybaby arguments, people. We got work to do. And he says the reports were valid and illegal activities were going on inside the compound. But somehow they were alerted in time to hide the evidence. Ephesians' wives are being held on BS charges of possession of dangerous chemicals. 
and he knows that their attorneys are going to be pushing for quick arraignment. They'll be out in 24 hours if they can't charge them with something else. Agents on site will continue to search for evidence of illegal firearms. And even more critical, they need to find the informant, Sydney. If they discover this Sydney person tipped the authorities, it's likely they're looking for a murder. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So agents disperse and get to work. And Skinner walks up to Mulder and Scully and says that they were brought onto this case to investigate claims of Ephesians' paranormal abilities, channeling, astral projection. Scully says they believe Ephesian is a paranoid, charismatic sociopath. Skinner says he had six women on the verge of suicide. His concern is that if the temple members are released, any and further investigation will stoke Ephesian's paranoia and they'll have another Jonestown on their hands. Yeah. I like how Scully is like, we believe, but Mulder kind of turns and looks at her like, <laughs> what do you, I don't believe that. That's what you believe, lady. So that was kind of funny. They're um, presenting United Front, but they're <laughs> going to have words later. Once they're alone, Mulder's going to be like, look, I know that we want to be a team, but you need to stop presenting your ideas as my ideas because you know that I believe he has paranormal abilities. It's this royal weed <laughs> business you got going on, Scully. So. Yeah. yeah. Also, like Skinner's all like, you guys were brought on to the case, but when they're there, they were bossy. They were both kind of like, we're in control of this raid. And it's like, you were just brought on because they think the dude has weirdo powers. So, and anyway. Mulder seems really like personally invested too. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, it is a little weird. Yeah. But I, they're the stars. You got to make them look like they're important. But I mean, you can, you know. Well, I guess, and also they're trying to, I get probably trying to explain why Mulder and Scully were brought onto this case because, like, they're looking for guns at a cult. Yeah, but I know, like, in the scene when they're raiding it, though, they're like all. Yeah, oh, I know. Yeah. Oh, 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 they probably. (laughs) And then Scully's like, give me your report. And it's like, (laughs) who are you, lady? You're just here looking for crazy people. What are you talking about? (laughs) Anyway. So then it's 8 12 a.m., and Ephesian is in an interrogation room with a lawyer beside him, and Mulder and Scully are across the table. He's a skeezy looking lawyer, too. Yeah. (laughs) And he tells Scully he knew she was coming. It was written in Revelation. Behold, the devil shall cast some of thee into prison that you may be tried. And Mulder points out that that passage referred to the church of Smyrna. His understanding is that Ephesians church is a reincarnation of the church of Aphasia. And Ephesians says that his temple of the seven stars is not a reincarnation. So Mulder asks if he is, and he says, yes, he was there to hear apostles John and Mark deliver their message of the apocalypse. Mm -hmm. Scully asks, if Sidney was unfaithful, did he receive a crown of life? The lawyer says there are no church members named Sidney. Ephesian says he knows they don't believe, and he doesn't care if they think he's Jim Jones or David Koresh. But just for a moment, for the sake of their souls, it's vital that they understand very, very soon, all unfaithfuls, all disbelievers, all beasts will be destroyed by God's mighty men. It has been told by God what will happen, by God what they must do. If they do this, then God will protect them from all evil, preserve their soul, preserve their going out, and their going in. I mean, he just goes on and on and on. So yeah, he's just ranting around. Yeah. Very important to Mulder, though, because Mulder's staring at him when he says the going out and going in. That sounds like reincarnation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Might come up later. <laughs> it might. It might. Ephesian is played by Michael Massey, who will be in one episode of Millennium as well. He was also in the movie Lost Highway, which I've actually never seen, but I owned the soundtrack for it on CD because of Trent Reznor. So I know all the music. Oh. He's been in Picket Fences, House, 24, Supernatural, and both of the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies. Yeah. He also played a character named Isaiah Hayden in a 2005 miniseries called Revelations about the apocalypse, which starred Bill Pullman from Independence Day, our president. And it also included John Rice Davies from Raiders of the Lost Ark and Sliders. Nice. I'm not going to go watch it because it didn't sound like it's good. But no. I saw, I saw, I was looking through his credits. And I was like, oh, he was in something called Revelations. And here he is in X-Files doing the thing. Doing preacher stuff. Yeah. yeah. And just so you guys know, we're going to refer to him as Ephesian. But they called him earlier. They called him Vernon Ephesian. And one of the characters calls him Vernon all the time. But we're going to keep calling him Ephesian. 
but Vernon was also the birth name of David Koresh. So that was not unintentional. They did that. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. Later, Mulder is staring at the mugshot of the woman again. And Scully says they're starting to release the members of the temple. And we see people going out, like women and children and stuff. And she says the compound remains under federal control. But time is flying. They have six wives to question. And she checks her watch. And Mulder continues to stare at the photo and says, let's start with her. So I guess they're letting out everyone who wasn't in the. Because like there's they they got all the people, but then they're still keeping the wives and Ephesians. Yeah, so they're the people who are holding the cocktails because they had dangerous chemicals in them. Right. Because they were supposedly. Oh, oh, I guess that's the liquid. Yeah. okay, gotcha. That's the charge that they're holding them on, which Skinner admits is kind of a trumped up ridiculous charge. But it's the only thing they have to, like, keep them in custody. But they still took everybody else into custody. They took everyone else probably for questioning, but they can't hold them. So they don't have any reasons, but they have this fake reason to hold Ephesian and the wives. So that's just I was confused a little bit because when they say like Scully's like we're letting everybody out and we see people leaving. And then she's like, we got to interview these people. And I'm like, well, didn't you have interviewed them before you let them go? But yeah, no, it's okay. It's because they still have the six wives in custody and Ephesian. So those are the people they're allowed to hold. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I don't understand the legal system. It's it's kind of a hot mess, to be honest. <laughs> so they're talking to the woman, and she says her name is Melissa Rydell Ephesian, and she's 25, and she's smoking a cigarette. And Mulder asks where she's from, and she says she doesn't know. She has to actually think about it for a little bit, too. And Scully <laughs> asks about her family, and Melissa says her real family is here. And Scully's like, how long have you lived at the compound? And she's like, a year. And then they ask her how long she's been married to Ephesian. And she's like, a year? And Mulder asks if it bothers her that he has other wives. And she answers with a quote from the Bible about how seven women will take hold of one man. And then Scully kind of tries to get a dig in, talking about like, well, if I had a husband, I'd be jealous if he had children with other men. And then asks if she has a child with Ephesian. And she's like, someday, and smiles. And then she says, Vernon, so again, Ephesian, has to wait until God tells them when the ripe soul is ready to be reincarnated. That's why all the children are sacred. Mulder says they've heard that Ephesian has been hurting the children. And she doesn't say anything. And then Scully asks if she's ever witnessed any child abuse at the temple. And then she gets angry and like hits her head. And then she starts doing this weird thing with her hand while she's talking and her voice changes. And she's like, I saw a couple things. It could have been anything. And she sounds like the dude, Sydney, that was on the tape, like exactly mm-hmm. like Sydney. And Sydney was a freak when he was talking. And we didn't do it, but he is kind of a freak. And he looks like <laughs> a freak, apparently, too, when he's talking. Scully says Melissa's name, but he's like, I don't know anyone called Melissa. Hmm. Didn't catch that before. Hmm. Mulder says, Sydney. And Scully writes multiple personality on a piece of paper. And Mulder asks Melissa, who's president? And she's like, who's president? Who's president? Why do you ask a question like that? It's Harry Truman. (laughs) Mulder writes past life and puts the paper back to Scully. (laughs) I don't know. I thought them going back and forth on the paper was really funny. So I don't know. It was good. (laughs) Yeah, I I thought he was going to cross it out and put past life, but he didn't. He put past life underneath it. But and then so then. You know, Scully's dubious and Mulder's was like, somehow, I, like, I just got a feeling that she, I knew that was going to happen. And then Melissa's back to normal. And then it's commercial. So, yeah. Yeah. Which makes sense about if you were, I had this question originally of why on the tape, Sydney is like, they got enough guns to take down the Korean army. Because it's like, although Truman wasn't president during the Korean War. Right. So that doesn't make sense either. Okay, whatever. I don't know. Well, I guess, well he might have actually been at the beginning of hostilities, possibly. Because Korean War is 50. Uh, I don't, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Close. Close. You can have it, X Files. You can have it. So, yeah. Multiple personalities are about as factual as past lives. So, whatever, Scully. Like, yeah. I mean, I think they were more side eye because he wrote past lives. He should be giving you side eye for. I know they were more accepted in the 90s I think in the 90s there was this idea that it was like a real thing and like I think now we kind of know that 
it's not necessarily Scully a real probably thing, has a copy but... of Sybil on her bookshelf somewhere I bet <laughs> probably uh, yeah a lot of people did and Melissa is played by Kristen Cloak she will do a voice in one of the 2018 X-Files episodes and she plays Laura Means on Millennium is she gonna do Sydney's voice I don't think so but I don't know oh. I don't know That'd be a deep cut. In addition, she's appeared on Murder, She Wrote, Diagnosis Murder, and Pretty Little Liars. And when this was filmed, Cloak was engaged to Glenn Morgan, who says this episode was partially inspired by his love for her. Oh. Also, she starred as Captain Shane Vanson in Space Above and Beyond, which I think is probably where they met. Okay, so, that would make sense. Yeah. yeah. So Mulder's looking at a sketch of the compound when Skitter walks into the workroom and he tells Mulder and Scully that Ephesian and his wives are being arraigned in about 15 hours. So that's the time they have to come up with something better to charge them on. Mulder says they found Sydney. Voice spectrogram confirms it was her on the call. But Scully says Melissa isn't cooperating. Mulder says, but there is a personality within her that wants to. Mm-hmm. He wants to take her back to the compound and see if that allows her or a personality inside her to talk. Skinner asks Scully if this could be some kind of stall tactic by Melissa because it's his understanding that multiple personalities are rare. Scully confirms that they are and that many people don't even believe this associative identity disorder even exists. But Mulder says so far she fits all the criteria in the DSM-4. She has at least two distinct personalities, inability to recall basic details, fast personality switches brought on by stress. She switched to Sydney when they mentioned child abuse. Skinner asks if she does have DID, can she even testify? And then Mulder sets precedent that she can. And Scully points out they're responsible for Melissa, but Mulder says they're also responsible for the potential loss of 50 lives. So Skinner tells them to do it, to take Melissa to the compound and see what happens. And then he leaves. Yeah. Technically, I would like to point out that they keep deferring to Scully about this, but Mulder would actually be a better representative because he did psychology at Oxford. That's what his degree is in. That's true. Scully is a medical doctor. So true, true. Once Skinner is gone, Scully tells Mulder that he didn't have the courage to tell Skinner what he really believes that Melissa is being invaded by her past life incarnations. Mulder says Skinner wouldn't have believed him. And Scully says she doesn't believe he feels responsible for Melissa or those 50 lives. He's only responsible for himself. And then he puts on a jacket and leaves. Yeah. So, He's like, I don't need to here be scolded. Yeah. yeah. little tiff. little tiff. So then we're at the Temple of the Seven Stars, and it is 4.27 p.m. Mulder and Scully stand in the compound with Melissa. Scully tells her they know that things occurred there, that might be painful and she might be scared to remember them, but to help the others, to help the children and herself that she needs to try and that they're there with her to listen, whether it's listen to Melissa or to Sydney or whoever needs to talk. So now she's playing good cop. Melissa shifts her eyes back and forth. And then she goes to Ephesians room, which is the room that has the goat on the inside of the door that we saw earlier. It actually actually has seven stars across the top too. So it's got seven stars and then it's got the seven horned, seven eyed goat. And then it's got the words and stuff. So, but that's apparently his room that they bursted into earlier. There are photos lined up on the bookshelf and she walks over to them and they show temple members doing chores and eating together. And then there's a photo of her and Ephesian that looks like a wedding photo. He's like standing behind her and she has flowers in her hair and it's holding the bouquet. And then she starts crying and she has to leave the room. And then they go find her and she's sitting at a kid's table in a makeshift classroom. There's like little kid drawings all over the wall and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And she's got her head down and she's drawn the crayon. And Scully sits across from her and says, Melissa. And then Melissa has another voice and she's like, why you call me that? And Scully's like, well, what should I call you? And she says, Lily. And so Scully asks if any of Lily's friends were hurt in this room. And Melissa stands up and then she becomes Sydney. And then Sydney tells him to leave the kid alone doing his hand thing and his voice and everything. Mulder tells Sydney they can all go home if she just tells them where they hid the guns. 
So then Melissa, I think as Melissa, so I think Sydney goes away and Melissa leaves the room and she's standing in front of that door with the glass paneling on it. And then she walks through it like oh, she opens it. She doesn't just like, go through it. She oh, opens yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should specify because there's some weird stuff going on here. So that's you never true. Know. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, she does open the door and walk yeah. through. And, she doesn't and then she like... goes out the back door and then she's walking across the field and Scully's following and Mulder's following. But then Mulder kind of stops and looks at the mountains and it gets kind of like zones out a little bit. And Scully's like, what's wrong? And he doesn't reply and he just keeps walking, following Melissa. And then Melissa stops and now she has a southern accent. And she says the weapons were placed in the bunker they built the night before. So Scully whips out a notepad. Take a note. (laughs) And like, why weren't the bunkers on the ATF list? Damn ATF people. (laughs) Melissa continues that they knew the Federals would arrive first thing in the morning. And knowing the government's might and number, most believe they'd never again see the light of day. But then she keeps talking and she mentioned General Lee and that they had learned of the death of their brothers the day before the missionary ridge. And then Scully looks up and is like, oh, crap, she's talking about nonsense. (laughs) She's not telling us anything (laughs) recent. She's talking about the Civil War. This is not this is not what I need. (laughs) Melissa says she was a nurse and she'd been ordered to meet the troops. But in actuality, she was searching for him. She found him here among the others who'd been lost. And then she says the troops would arrive from that direction and they decided to stay and fight. They hid her and the other civilians in the bunker. She could smell the smoke and hear the rifles and feel the bodies as they dropped on the ground above. It was the 26th of November, 1863. And then she turns and says, I was here. And then she looks at Mulder and says, as were you. This is the field where I watched you die. <gasps> and his commercial. So Mulder and yeah. Melissa probably owned some slaves. <laughs> or at least we're fighting for the right to do so. So either way, yeah. that's great. <laughs> yeah. I don't think the Confederate Army went by Federals. That was the Northerns. So. Yeah. 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 They were, they were the, on the right side of that fight. Federal roles. Yes. Yes. So Mulder and Scully drive down the highway in their rental SUV, and Melissa is sleeping in the back seat. Mulder's on the phone, and Scully's like, Who are you calling? And he says he's arranging for a hypnotherapist to be at the command center. Scully cynically asks if that's because hypnosis is part of the treatment for DID to help bring forth personalities. Mulder says she wants to talk. It's just a matter of getting it out of her. Scully says, no, it's about regressing her to a past life. And Scully implores him not to do this to Melissa. Her mind and her life is in shreds. Just being married to Ephesian indicates she's susceptible to suggestion. So again, you might not get an accurate read either. And Mulder gets angry and he's like, you were there. You saw it. You heard it. Why can't you feel it? How could Mulder know about a bunker in a field where he's never been? And Scully argues that Mulder thinks Ephesian is a paranoid sociopath because he believes he lived in Greece 100 years ago. But Mulder isn't when he believes he died in that field. And they continue driving in silence after that. So, which I mean, kind of points Scully. So I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's not the worst argument. They must have cut that part out. I don't remember them talking about that at all, though. Yeah, I don't think they talked about it before. Like, he does mention living in Greece, and, like, he talks a lot in the interrogation room. I cut some of it out. But, yeah, I think um, Mulder believes that he... Because Ephesians' whole, like, church is based on this idea that he, you know, was this person, and so now he's back to... Yeah, I just hear him say that he was, like, heard John and Mark talk, but that wasn't 100 years ago in Greece. So I just didn't... Maybe maybe something else he said. Yeah, I don't know. He does talk for a long time, so it'd be easy. He does talk for a very long time. (laughs) I did not feel like transcribing it all, so I did not. Mm, 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 mm. (laughs) You get the gist. That's it. That's all we need. So you just don't get the grease. You get the gist, but not the grease. Anyway, (laughs) the hypnotherapist sits in front of Melissa, who's seated with her eyes closed. The therapist asks if there's anything that happened in the past year that she thought was wrong. Melissa says yes. And she is under, she is, you know, she says there was a woman who came to the temple with her son. They'd been living on the street. Her name was Elizabeth and her son was Scott. 
The Thesians thought Scott was a prophet returning and took him away from his mother. And the therapist asks what she means. And Melissa says, Ephesians children are the grandchildren of God and were kept separate from the others. Their mother was afraid. And so she would sneak in at night to see Scott and would bring him butterfingers that she stole from the kitchen. But one night, Ephesian caught her and his men pulled her away from Scott and beat her in front of him. And the boy wailed and cried. And then Ephesian pulled the boy by his hair and pulled down his pajamas and hit him. And he said, you're not a child of God. You're garbage. And he made the boy sleep in the trash. And the mother cried, but Ephesian just beat the child. Oh, that's pretty awful. Yeah. Then Melissa switches to Sydney, and Sydney tells them to leave Melissa alone. But he didn't know who Melissa was earlier. So. Or he was lying. <laughs> Did multiple personalities lie? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> She doesn't need to go through that anymore. So prompted by Mulder and Scully, the therapist asked Sydney where the guns are. And Sydney says in the Civil War bunkers, Ephesian and his goons know where they are, but Sydney doesn't. So Scully whispers to Mulder that it might be a map of the battlefield in the records. Mulder says he knows how to find that other bunker. And then he turns to Melissa and says, it's me. I want you to go back to that field. She opens her eyes. It seems like she's maybe still. Un- I can't tell if she's supposed to be under hypnosis or if she's just switching personalities again. But she opens her eyes and she stares at him and she tells him that his eyes may have changed shade, but it cannot color the soul behind them. And they've come together in this life, this time, but only to meet in passing. And then she's like, It is so heartbreaking to wait. I miss you. And Mulder just kind of looks at her and kind of like, nods a little bit and then she leans back against the chair and Mulder puts his head in his hands and Scully bends down next to Mulder and tells him Melissa couldn't answer the question and is given no specifics or names to prove the validity of her story Ephesians arraignment is in two hours there's no time to be doing this and Mulder's like wouldn't you Scully wouldn't anybody what's Mulder gonna do yeah I don't know and like I love Scully but like she's very on it in this one like she's just not even giving him a second and i'm just like give him a minute give him a minute good lord my lady give him a minute so she does very much jump on it and if you listen to our patreon this is the actress who plays annie tisman in an episode of millennium episode four so it hasn't come out yet the judge yeah it's coming up So now Mulder's in the hot seat with his eyes closed and the hypnotherapist tells him she wants him to go into his past beyond his life as Fox Mulder. Oh, so that's what he was going to do. Yeah. Okay. And she asks what he sees. And he says, shattered glass, bodies of the dead. He says he's a Jewish woman and that his son is with him and his son is Samantha. And the therapist's like, I thought Samantha was your sister. And Mulder says that in this life, she is his son. And he sees his father dead in the street. And his father is Scully. He's gone on waiting for them. Souls come back together, different, but always together again and again. He can't go to his father. Gestapo is standing next to him. And one of the officers... He's cancer man. Evil returns as evil. But love, souls made eternal. His husband is taken away from him. He is Melissa. <gasps> oh, no. Although the cigarette smoking man was a full-grown-ass man in the 1950s. So <laughs> I mean, I don't know if we're supposed to believe this is true, right? <laughs> I don't know if any of this is meant to be accurate. But yeah, that wouldn't really work time-wise. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then he's rising high above his body and his face is bloody. Now he's near the bunker. The Federals are gone. His sergeant is also dead. His sergeant is Scully. Scully's Scully's dead a lot. (laughs) She's not having a good go of it. Sarah holds him. She's sad. She is Melissa. She lives near the battle in Hamilton County. Her name is Sarah Cavanaugh. His name is Sullivan Biddle. She doesn't know that he's waiting for her, that they will live again. 
And then Scully kneels down in front of Mulder and asks if he sees any bunkers in the field. And then he just says, my soul is tired. <laughs> Look for the bunkers, Mulder. Look for the bunkers. He's not looking for the bunkers, so it doesn't help. <laughs> and sticking with the real stuff, Hamilton County is a real county, and it actually is where the city is located, or the incorporated town, Appison. So, good job. Speaking of which, we're at the Hamilton County Hall of Records, and it is 4.12 a.m. Scully is looking at a map of a Confederate area from the Civil War. And then she closes the book, which is called Maps and Battle Plans, 1863-1865. And then she pulls a book down from a county registrar and flips through it. And she finds both the names Sullivan Biddle and Sarah Cavanaugh in the 1860 census. And then she finds photographs of Sullivan Biddle from 1862 and Sarah Cavanaugh from 1863. <gasps> it's lucky. It's lucky. commercial. I'm surprised this library has any documents where they just let like people rummage through them with their bare hands. We got like 130 year old documents <laughs> laying around. They're stacked up on shelves and people just digging through them with their fingers in the drawer. Man, hmm. I got a hundred year old newspaper. It's not in good shape. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So Scully shows Mulder the photos. She tells him that both Ephesian and Melissa are going to be released soon. And Mulder calls her Dana, and he asks if ever in the four years they've been working together, someone told her they'd been friends in other lifetimes. Would it have changed the ways they looked at one another? And Scully says, even if she knew for certain, she wouldn't change a day. Well, maybe that fluke man thing, she could have lived without that just fine. And he smiles, and she leaves. Yeah, I'm like, not being abducted, not Donnie Faster, not what happened to Queequeg, like the fluke man, really? That's the only thing? You well, the fluke, she what? can't deny that the fluke man exists. The fluke man really exists. Oh. There's physical evidence, so she can't deny it. And Oh, so she, she Scully, would like to just wipe that away. Oh, Scully and Denial are very good friends, so maybe that's it. Or maybe just... The fluke man was really, maybe she has nightmares about the fluke man. I sure would. So maybe that's the problem. I don't know. Maybe she was like, <laughs> maybe we should have like, not just put him like in prison and tried to try him in court. He should have like <laughs> treated him as a weird cryptid, cryptid thing. thing. Yeah. I mean, that might've been smarter anyway. It doesn't matter. That didn't really work out. And now he's gone. Maybe. Maybe. So Melissa's in an interrogation room. And she's listening to a tape of her hypnosis session and Mulder is sitting across the table from her. And the tape stops after she says, I miss you. And Melissa says she doesn't believe in it. She says it's a nice idea. She wants to believe. <laughs> and if she knew it were true, she'd want to start over. She'd want to end this pointless life. And Mulder calls her Sarah and says that if it were true, no life would be pointless and he hands her the photo of Sarah Cavanaugh. And then Ephesian opens the door and tells Melissa it's time to leave. And she just tears the photograph in half and leaves with Ephesian. And I'm like, that's going to be a library fine. So mm -hmm. I let people just come and take 100-year-old stuff from your library. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So then Scully comes in and she tells Mulder they've reported the possibility of other bunkers. The ATF is going to continue the search. And then as she speaks, we see the church members happily reuniting with each other on the compound's grounds. Because again, remember, it's not that far away, right? It's just like hops up in a jump. And Ephesian touches a child as they walk by and he hugs someone. And then, but he turns and looks and in the field, he sees the ATF agent searching the field. And then he looks at Melissa. Mm, I think she might've sketched him out. Mm. Maybe. I don't know. Hard to read. Hard to read. Yeah. One of the children Ephesian touches is one of the Wildsmith triplets. All three of them appear in the scene. So there's like three little blonde boys. They played Teddy in the Kalashari. Woo woo! Same kids. Yeah, got hit by a train. So in the war room, Skinner tells Mulder that the attorney general is furious and there's no way they're going to get permission for a second go at the compound. Mulder argues that Ephesian preaches and his followers believe that the ATF and FBI are the devil's army. Mulder and Scully point out lines from Revelations and Skinner gathers they're saying Ephesian will attack the ATF 
believing it's prophesized that he'll win. Mulder says he would believe that, except Ephesian hid the weapons, so he may not believe he can win. But he may believe that by denying himself and his followers to the devil, they can obtain life forevermore. So at the temple, we see that everyone's being called to worship and they're gathering in this barn-like room or like, you know, kind of a rustic church type room. And Ephesian stands at the pulpit and there are men with guns guarding the windows. Yep, they bolt the doors and guard the windows. Yeah. An agent runs into the war room and tells them the mic they have at the compound just picked up this recording. And he plays it and we hear Ephesian's sermon. And Scully searches the passage and it says, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Skinner says, okay, Mulder. Like, that's enough, I guess, for them to go back. Yeah, I wasn't sure why she had to look it up because he's saying it, but he is kind of paraphrasing. He's not like reciting like scripture. So I guess she wanted to actually find the line or something. Mm -hmm. I guess I can feel that. I get it. Making sure he's not messing things up, making stuff up. That's cool. Well, also to kind of point out, this is what he's talking about, laying down Yeah, lives. but I mean, Let's you can hear what he's saying. He's That's exactly yeah. what he's saying. I mean, he's, he's saying it. Yeah. But, yeah. So back at the temple, they're filling cups with poison juice and handing it out to everybody. And through the windows, we can see the ATF agents are approaching. And then one of the guards inside busts the window and starts shooting through the windows. And then one of them gets hit. Oh, another one's all like, man down. And then everyone just opens fire. And then Melissa is just like staring at her cup. And then Mulder and Scully arrive and they pull up. And ATF is like holding the line, like behind some cards and stuff. And someone else is like, hold your fire, hold your fire. And Mulder asks if they have contact. And the guy tells him, we've had lead contact and points to the guy who got shot. <laughs> and then we see Ephesian and he preaches. And several of the temple members start drinking the juice. And he stands over Melissa and it looks like she maybe has taken a drink and swallowed, but she's also Sydney again. She's doing that hand thing that she does. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if he's supposed to be like holding a cigarette and like waving it when he's talking or what. Maybe, like yeah. Finger thing that keeps going up to the, yeah. It's, it's weird. It's very weird. Mm-hmm. Also very squinty. Mulder pulls off his jacket and he puts his hands up and he starts walking to the building. And Scully's like, you're going to get killed. And then inside, we see the temple members are laying inside, dead or dying. And Mulder's trying to open the door. And then Melissa's like laying down, but then she opens her eyes and she sits up. And Ephesian is standing over her. And he says, Behold, I am alive forevermore. And then he hands her another cup of poison juice. So he's got two one for her, one for him. And then Mulder's running towards the meeting room. He bursts in. And then there's just bodies all laying on the floor. Mm-hmm. So he's walking around him and he finds Melissa lying on the ground and Ephesian is lying next to her. Both of their cups are empty and he takes Melissa's pulse and he sees that she has the torn up photo in her hand. And then Scully and the others walk in and Mulder's just sitting over Melissa crying. Mm-hmm. And then we get basically the same scene that we got before we get the same voiceover he repeats the exact same part from the poem and he's just standing in the field holding the photos and at the very end we close in and it shows the two photos and of course the one is torn mm-hmm. so, yep. and those are technically different shots i think they mm-hmm. use the exact same audio because he's not speaking it's just voiceover that you hear but the shots themselves are slightly different so, uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Different video, but if not the same audio, the exact same words. But it probably yeah. is the same audio. Yeah. Yeah. I had. So here's what I did. I actually made a copy of the file and tried to run them simultaneously, but because I had to keep jumping between windows to try to sync it up, I couldn't get it to sync exactly. Mm-hmm. So the shots are definitely different shots because some of the angles are different, the lighting's a little bit different. But I think the audio is exactly the same audio. I just couldn't get it lined up exactly to make sure. So. Yep. And that's the end. That's the end. In the field where he died. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. Glenn Morgan recalls that Entertainment Weekly gave this episode an F, and he thinks that's the only one they ever gave an F to. I did not find the Entertainment Weekly article that gave it an F. I don't think I have a copy of that magazine, and I didn't find it online, but 
Yeah, I don't I'm know assuming that's... he means the only X Files episode. Not the well, only no, yes, obviously, okay. the only X Files episode. But I was, I was curious what they had said about it, and I couldn't find it. So I'm gonna think he wears that as a badge of honor. Honestly, oh, for sure. No, I'm sure Glenn yeah. Morgan thinks that's funny. Yeah. And this episode was hated by the Mulder and Scully shipper contingent of the fandom because it kind of paints someone else as Mulder's soulmate, and so they didn't love that. Uh, which is understandable if that's your ship. Uh, yeah, I mean, Cascali's always like his dad or his sergeant. In his life. Honestly, they were, I they think a huge fan of it. I mean, like they yeah, they, do, <laughs> they do make Melissa to be a soulmate because he's like he's like souls mate forever, and then he says that Melissa is his husband in that life. So it's mm-hmm. like that kind of doesn't totally imply that it's them, right, and not Scully. Yep. But also, I would almost think that maybe his soulmate is actually his sister because his life is so tied to her. Oh, I that, see, Samantha. Yeah. Yeah. Not so, not in a romantic It was also way, confusing because but... Melissa is Scully's sister's name. I and know, I kept yes. getting confused when they were doing the past life stuff and talking about Melissa because I was really confused for a while. I was like, wait, did you just say your sister was your son and now you're saying it's your husband? Because I was conflating his sister and Scully's sister. Mm-hmm. Her name is Melissa, but he's talking about the other Melissa yeah. and I got confused. So, yeah. I kind of think Mulder actually shouldn't have a soulmate because he's I mean, you gotta love him, but he's kind of batshit crazy, and no one I mean, would put up with his crap. So everyone needs a soulmate. I don't believe that at all. But if you believe in soulmates, I guess everybody has one. Maybe one my cat is my soulmate, not in you, you know in a very do. platonic way, obviously. But... You have two cats. Yeah, but Billy is my my soul kitty. I love um... Locke so much, but Billy's my soul kitty. Mm. Um, you sold her polyamorous too. I had no idea. What I did learn recently, and this is something that I did not know, or if I had known it before, I had completely forgotten. Apparently, the term shipping originated with the X-Files fandom because, you know, at the time the show was airing, there were the people like me and my brothers who were watching the show for the paranormal alien conspiracy, weird stuff, which obviously mm-hmm. shippers were you too. should be watching it. And, you know, obviously people who ship Mulder's Gully. I, I assume watching it for the same reasons, but they were also more invested in the relationship between Mulder and Scully and in them getting together. So people began to refer to them as the Mulder and Scully relationshipers. And even like the showrunners would like kind of refer to them that way. And so that's where the term shipping came from is it got shortened from Mulder and Scully relationshipers to the shippers and then shipping peripheralated into other fandoms. And the term just became like a general you ship two people together or whatever. So it originated with the X-Files. The X-Files started it. So I thought that was really cool. That that's where the term comes from is actually from this show. Yeah, after the Chekhov's gun fiasco on the Patreon, I'm not sure if I should believe you or not. I looked it up. I looked it up to check, and that is mm. what it says. So, because I read it on Tumblr the first time, and I'm like, well, I better check that because, <laughs> uh, yeah, let's let's double check that. Do my now, own research. We'll see. Not that I don't love Tumblr, but when I looked it up, that is what it said: is that it did originate with the X Files fandom. So, if I'm wrong, I apologize, but it sounds like that is true. We might have to start a side show that's called a side show. That sounds bad. We might have to let's start check, a side section. Let's check start, stuff Tory reads and make we sure might have that to start Tory our own little, our little sub podcast. It's like TNN, trust no one news, and just have little <laughs> updates about things that are said on the podcast. I'm sure I say wrong shit all the time. Oh, and you know, I was talking. Those of you who aren't Patreon subscribers, Tori told me something and I totally believed it. And I then told later him. Went and looked here's what I told him. It was totally him. wrong. I told him that Chekhov's gun originated with Chekhov from Star Trek because I thought that was true. Um, and then when he told me that it wasn't, that Star Trek actually did the subversion where Chekhov never actually fires his gun. And so that was meant to like subvert the trope. I realized I had probably read that on TV tropes like in 2008 or something. And it's just been rattling around my brain. And I don't know if you know this, kids, but when you get old, stuff starts to mush together in your yeah. head. Because I was like, and- <laughs> I thought that was from Anton Chekhov, the playwright. And she's like, yeah. no, it was from Star Trek. <laughs> and I was like, Trek. holy shit. No, really? So, oh, my God. So sucker, I probably sucker, conflated sucker. that in my head and thought that, like, instead of the subversion being from Star Trek, that it was actually the whole trope came from Star Trek. And so I was wrong. I apologize. <laughs> I mixed that up. Because what happened is I was looking for the episode where they show Chekhov with a gun and then he uses it later, like to link to for that podcast. And then I found out that it was the exact opposite and that I yeah. was right. And so I was like, look, mm. I'm, wrong. I'm not always right. And I'm happy to admit that I am wrong. 
I got a lot of stuff in my head. Not all of it is accurate, but I did look up the shipping thing. So I believe that is true. And I mean, I, that's definitely where this, I mean, X-Files is one of the first fandoms that really was big when more people were getting the internet and it was becoming a more common thing to talk about fandom on the internet. So I can definitely believe that some fandom terms came from the show. Absolutely. That seems true to me. I say um, this a lot on Patreon, primary sources, people. Primary yeah. Primary sources. True. Don't believe true. everything you hear. That is especially on Tumblr because, but I did look it up afterwards. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah, but Tumblr people just post things and you're like, I don't know if that's true. I should look that up and then forget. We were were recording yesterday and I was complaining about a quote from Millennium and you were like, well, that's fine if you're just going to put it on your Tumblr. And I'm like, no, no, it doesn't matter. You need to do the proper notation and all. (laughs) But no one on on Tumblr (laughs) should know better, is what I'm saying. Is you're just posting on your Tumblr for aesthetic or whatever. No, it's not that big of a deal. But it is. Because people are going to see it and they're going to think it's wrong or they're going to think it's right and it's going to be wrong. You got (laughs) to. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just, I guess I'm just. Used to it at this point. We do a lot of side research on the Patreon episodes. More than we do. more than we do on these, surprisingly. Well, there's so. more stuff to research, generally speaking. That's true. Depending on what we're doing. Because a lot of it is based on true stories in a way that the X-Files isn't always, although obviously sometimes it is. Yeah. Um, so back to this episode. I basically just as I was thinking and turning this episode over in my head, I kind of I feel like Morgan and Wong, as they tend to do just trying to shove too many things in this episode. And I was thinking that it might've been a little more effective if they had just dropped the whole multiple personality disorder thing and just made it like a reincarnation thing. And then like one life. Well, yeah. Sarah, have have her remember Sarah. Right. And so have her maybe mention that she was drawn to the house because like, she got there and recognized it and then found the cult inside. And that's how she joined the cult. And like, she can maybe make the call, but as herself and they just, they know someone in the cult did it, but didn't give a name. And so they're trying to figure out who it is. And then maybe they hear her voice and realize, Oh, you were the one who made the call. And then they check it on the spectrogram or whatever. And then she can like, just see Mulder and be like, Oh, it's you. You're, you know, mm-hmm. like I remember you. And then it could have just gone from there. I don't know that they needed the multiple personality thing in addition to the reincarnation thing. I felt like that was kind of a lot. Well, I think it was, it wasn't so much it was multiple personality. It was just like she was reliving all her past life. Right. Like yes. Yeah. Piggledy piggledy instead of like focusing yeah. on one. Apparently, there were two other ones that we never see that got cut out because of time constraints. Oh, God. It's probably yeah. good. It's probably good that that got cut out. But yeah, I was just thinking about that episode. Like, the other day I was like doing the dishes. I was like, you know what they could have done? It's just left that out and just had it be like, she remembers being Sarah and she remembers Mulder dying and she sees him and she's like, oh! and you know, she had gone to this house and then she got sucked into this cult because she was looking. There you for- go. Being efficient and taking away from our season wrap ups. Yeah. Sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> trying to do that more, but then also our season <laughs> are gonna be, yeah, turning these episodes over in my head a little bit. Them over in your head. <laughs> well, since you've been turning it over in your head, what do you rate this episode? Oh, man, I don't know. I mean, I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. It's not my favorite. I thought that, again, there's just too much going on, and I felt like they could have streamlined it a lot better. And just plus, it's, I mean, you can have bummer endings that are good. It's just, I don't know. It's kind of depressing that Melissa even like wakes up and Ephesians there and then hands her another cup. I'm like, oh man, that's rotten luck. <laughs> At least he did follow through. I thought he was going to be like left the lone survivor and not drink the stuff. Just had everybody else die. Yeah. But he did too. apparently take it himself. So yeah. Yeah. I, I she has all those maybe... past lives. She needed a double dose because all them other souls is like, no. Yeah, um, I guess so. She got spirit. <laughs> I'm like between a five and a six on this one, to be honest. Oh, so you're rating it higher than Taliko or Home then. Okay. Yeah, I mean it's better than that for sure. But oh, okay. I don't know how much better. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's not like I'm writing this in stone and I can't change it later. I'm gonna go with a five. I'm gonna go with a five. Okay. That's where my, my gut is telling me to go. Okay. I am going to go with a two. I am surprisingly going to rate it lower than Toleco. 
Wow. So, yeah. I know. It's just like... Mm. Mulder apparently borrowed some of Scully's faces for the opening and the closing. <laughs> Those weren't great. Yeah, I mean, the opening and, and ending were not good. <laughs> and then, like, I don't know if, like, she and Glenn Morgan are still married or not. And they are happy. And if they aren't, you know, things work out. But, like, he was in love with at the time. I don't think she's that good of an actress. She's not great at doing voices. And I don't know. Is it the story? Like you said, the story was it was it was both too much and it was also boring. Yeah, it was kind of boring. Yeah, there was wasn't a lot to it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe there wasn't a I lot think, to it, but there was so much going on somehow. So it was kind of and like I think why? It's, why? It's, ironically, I think all the other stuff was what made it boring because they couldn't make the one part important and make you care about it. And yeah, so you're just like, yeah, whatever. Oh, oh, now she's gonna start doing that voice. Oh, now she's gonna talk in a southern accent. Oh, now she's a little girl. Uh, anyway, so yeah, I think if they had just had her like remember being Sarah and then just kind of gone from there and had her, you know, recognize Mulder right away in the house, they could have shared like a really, I mean, they do kind of share that look. But then like in the you know room, she could just be like, it's you. I was looking for you or whatever. And like go from there and just make it about that. I think it would have been a lot better and we would have been more invested and it would have just mm-hmm. worked better. And I think it just got really convoluted with the whole Sydney stuff. And like, I mean, you could still have the rest of the elements, but like, yeah, it's just yeah. a lot. It was a lot happening. I mean, you know, not not to like diss her, but like she's no like what's uh, what's his name from Split? who played not Patrick Stewart, Professor X, but like he is really good at doing that kind of stuff. She was not so great at doing that kind of stuff. So that stuff's hard doing accents and trying to, and trying to be different individuals. That shit is hard. Yeah. So Yeah. Tatiana Mansley can do it, but like not a lot of people can, can pull yeah, that off. Who that so. is, but yeah. What's She's an orphan know? black and she plays like, Oh, okay. People. That show. Yeah, yeah. You would have to be able to pull it off if you're doing that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. she can, but I mean, that's not easy. I'm sure. <laughs> Yeah, what is his name? I can't remember what his name is from Split, but yeah. So he yeah. was in Split. He was in Glass, which was not good. Don't watch Glass. Watch <laughs> Unbreakable. Watch Split. Be like, oh, and and just make up your own story about when you know the Beast and Bruce Willis meet. Make up. Your, it's going to be better. Make up your own story. So <laughs> it's going to be better. Gotcha. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> Jeff and I watched the trilogy. Oh, I see. So disappointing. So disappointing. Because I did. I I had never seen Split when we did. I was a big fan of Unbreakable. I never saw Split. It's not really my kind of movie. And then also at the time we didn't know it was connected to the same universe. But then we watched it for our little trilogy on the podcast, Mm. and Split was really good. Glass, Glass was so disappointing. Bruce Willis got screwed in that movie. Messed that up. Yeah, they gave him a shit ending. Anyway, enough of that. We're not talking about that. We're talking about this. Yes, we are talking about this. We're talking about The X-Files Season 4. Yeah, episode five. gave it a 5 and a 2, which yeah. I think, I mean, not not really a big relation, but I just, yes, that is what we both gave the blessing away. I was thinking we've done a 5 and a 2 before. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I was um, pretty generous to the blessing way. Actually, oh, which is funny because the blessing way is the one where Mulder's in the sky with plants on him, <laughs> and I didn't even realize that. That's ooh, yeah, look, apparently look at it together. Apparently, we don't love Mulder <laughs> being like poetic at the sky and staring up and giving like these. Yeah, apparently that's not our thing. So yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. righty. Well, that's it. Yeah, that's it. That was the field where I died. That's what this episode said. Oh, this is where I died. <laughs> Dog. Anyway. All right. Yep. Later. Bye. Bye. I want to rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and recorded in collaboration with Black Cat and Orange Tuxedo Studios. That's right. We made this. We also make a Patreon-only X-Files adjacent podcast that you should check out because we keep talking about it and you're probably (laughs) getting tired of it, but too bad. Anyway, whatever else you do, you should keep joining us here for X-Files Season 4, Episode 6, Sanguinarium. And together, we'll try to figure out if If the the truth truth is is still still out out there. there. 
might be vampires. The truth is what we make of it. the children of Fusion touches is one of the wildsmith triplets all wild three smith. of them yeah wildsmith um all three of them appear in the scene so there's like three little blonde boys they played teddy in the kalashari Woo-hoo! same kids yeah got hit by a train so in the war room skinner tells <laughs> the late laugh there <laughs> they did and it was sad 